I'm big about making work fun, having fun with people in your organization, keeping perspective, just to be grateful about what you do have, not taking myself too seriously. Don't sweat the small stuff. That's a big value I try to, to teach even today to people. Don't underestimate how lucky and how blessed we are. Chris Hammond is truly blessed. As a family man, Chris is blessed to have a wife and four children. At work, Chris has had a long and very successful career spanning over 27 years and having produced over $86 million in business as Cutco Vector's Empire Division Manager. Chris knows that true happiness is cultivated from within. He sets a positive example for everyone under his guidance and he strives to teach others how to cultivate happiness in all that they do. I know you'll enjoy getting to know this truly great leader and role model, Chris Hammond. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. My guest today is Chris Hammond. Chris is a 27-year veteran of the Cutco Vector business, having started in the summer of 1993. He was a college student back then, going to uh, SUNY Geneseo. He graduated in 1996 and became a district manager with our company in 1997. Chris has had an illustrious career over all of these years. He advanced to become a division manager of the Empire Division starting in 2002. That is where he has been ever since then. He's built a tremendous organization that has had a lot of success, produced over $86 million in sales. Chris is headquartered in Rochester. He lives there with his wife and four kids. And so, Chris Hammond, thanks so much for making time for the podcast today. Thanks, Dan. I'm so honored to be part of your podcast. Excited. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, let's start out by hearing a little bit about how you started with Cutco. Take us back to 1993 and tell us how that unfolded. Yeah, so I cut lawns my entire teenage years up to about 18, landscaped. Uh, I also worked one night a month at a gym just for a free membership. And when I did the math later, it actually ended up when I added all the hours I worked, I was actually uh, more money than the uh, actual membership uh, would have cost me. But I just enjoyed it. But I got a letter in the mail. You know, it's one of the things that has stood the test of time, that source, that advertising source. And the rest is history. I went in, I met my manager, and that's how it all began. Yeah, that's so cool. It's funny you said mailers stood the test of time. I can remember when I was a branch manager, and I was a branch manager long before you, as 1990, direct mail advertising was a big part of our process for recruiting 
college students. And we actually used to get from the mailer company a printed list of everybody that we had sent the mailer to. Yeah. And it listed their college. And so somebody would call, right? It was calls back then, right? And they'd say, you know, my name's Chris Hammond. And we'd be like, okay, how'd you hear about the company? They say mail, you know, letter in the mail. We'd pause the, we'd say, hey, hold on. And we'd put them on hold for a second. We'd look them up. And then we'd get back and then we'd be like, oh, you're a student at SUNY Geneseo, right? And they were like, whoa, how'd you know that? <laughs> anyway. I got the how... recording. I don't remember, but I was the year of the D, I think it was called the DVA, where it was, a, it was just a recording and I had to listen to a couple times and just show up at an interview. So. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> the business has evolved, but those are yeah. some cool, like old school uh, things that went on back in those days. Yeah, yeah, pretty interesting. So tell us about some of your early experiences. Like what stands out? Who stands out? What were some yeah. of the lessons? There's so many, and I'll start with the early ones because a lot of the managers I had growing up, I mean, they shaped a lot of my thinking of what I do today. And I hung out, I felt with more with my friends and my managers than, than I did with my parents sometimes. And I think of Howie Kaplan, he was my first district manager, and he taught me that work can be fun and it should be fun. And he always was taking us out doing stuff and you know, he taught me it was okay to enjoy nice things because I never did that before. I, I asked for a dirt bike, Dan, from ages four to 18, and I never got one. <laughs> and that's, that's what is that, 14 Christmases and 14 birthdays, I think. And I got my first one at 19 because he would always say, hey, it's only money, we'll make more. It's only money, we'll make more. And that's something I held today. Now, Erica, my first division manager, Erica Dietz, she would teach me things like, hey, don't make the mistake I did when I was young. You know, you're going to make some good money here, but you know, it's, it's good to save some as well. So kind of that balance of enjoying what life has to offer, but also saving money. Those were, were two of my early, early influences. And then moving on to my second division manager, which was uh, Mike Habucky, he really instilled the work hard, play hard mentality in me. You know, work first, but then have fun. And, and, and boy, he did both really well. And so that was an, an early influence. My region manager at that time was Aldi Leonardo, and obviously now president of our company, but you know, he taught the family atmosphere. But in our family, you know, we work hard. And uh, my two recent RMs were Earl Kelly and Jeff Fry, and both of them obviously great family men. And Jeff has not only been my arm for the past 10 years, but I worked with him for the entire time as my, my DVM, I think 18, 19 years now. And almost 20 years, we include his RSD time. And, and he taught me so much you know, gratitude and not only having dreams, but pursuing them, going after them, always with 100% integrity, things like that. So there, there are a lot out there. Those are some of the, uh, the main ones. Yeah, that's awesome. That's pretty cool to hear. How about as a sales rep, as a young person advancing, what, what were some of the experiences you had working that you remember? Yeah, I remember, shout out to the sales promotion managers. I, I remember uh, Steve Porzik and meeting him on, on a cruise. I wanted as an AM, I believe, my second summer, I think it was. And, and I wanted again as an assistant manager, my third summer on a cruise. And I just remember just the overwhelming family atmosphere that we have here and the importance of relationships and how that is a big part of my joy and happiness here, which I'll talk about later. Is was just that the people that were were in there. Now, of course, I could give you a myriad of people that I learned from as far as skills wise and sales skills and things like that. But I just remember all the, the relationships, and, and that's what got me really addicted to this company. Yeah, that's cool. A couple things stand out that uh, 
that you talked about. I like the balance between enjoying life through experiences and the things that you get, you know, that you kind of had a chance to do when you started making money, but balancing that with saving and investing, right? That, you know, Erica mentioned to you to make sure that you would do as well. And you've always been somebody that's had a good reputation for being smart financially, you know, that you enjoy your life and you have a lot of nice things, but you also are good at saving, investing, accumulating, etc. And and that's an important lesson for a lot of young people to learn early on, for sure. I also like the balance of work and play that you shared, you know, from Mike Habucky. Habucks always had this reputation of being this just fun-loving guy, but also, you know, my impression of him has always been that he's a guy that busts his butt, right? Yeah, Works absolutely. super hard, 100%. really, really puts the effort in and has fun while doing it. And so it's cool that you got exposed to those different people in those early years that you had. Very blessed to have, yeah, exactly, both sides. And, and one of the things that as far as not just things, I'm not just talking about things, I think it's important young people create, and this has been mentioned before, but signature memories. My, my goal was always to have, to make so many amazing memories that I forget the good ones, that I only remember the amazing ones. You know, so many where I could, where just the average ones or good ones are, and let alone the bad ones that are forgotten. John Kane was after Steve Porzig, and then John Vroman. Those are my sales promotion managers. And I really admired that position, that their job was to create opportunities to have fun. Their job was to be the ambassadors of fun. Their job was to make you happy. I mean, there's so many things that they created. I remember I actually got lost I don't think you know this. I actually got lost with Roman in the desert in Nevada, and we almost didn't make it back. Uh, we, <laughs> I begged him to come with me. I didn't want to go alone. And this is after Pea Banquet. This is in January. And they trucked us out an hour outside of, of Vegas. It's the middle of nowhere, the middle of the desert, to this guy's little shop. And you just rent him for four to six hours. And they just said, be back by 6 p.m. And, and he had warned us. You know, He said, hey, j- just so you know, it's, it, the desert gets to, it can get to the 30s, 30s or 40s at night. And so you need to be back here by six o'clock because that's when we close and that's when it gets dark. And John and I, I mean, we had jeans and t-shirt. We're like, yeah, that's fine. No problem. <laughs> and, and it was, it was crazy. We were out there. It was getting to six o'clock and we got to the point where we're like, all right, forget about the cost of the machinery. We just got to find civilization where we can maybe flag someone down, you know, just say, Hey, can you take us back somewhere? We'll pay the cost of the ditched where we were running low on gas and uh, it got down to three paths. And, John Roman, I never forget. He looked at me and says, well, we have a 33% chance of getting home tonight. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, and we, uh, we ended up picking the right one and we just went with it. And finally, we, we found some... Uh, I mean, that's just one of so many crazy <laughs> stories that I've had in Vector that has been really just so cool to have those memories. Yeah. And it's good to be with a guy like John Roman on an experience like that, right? right. Yeah. You want the guy that's like, Hey, all right, let's have fun doing this. This is cool. Well, yeah. we're going to be all right versus somebody who's like, oh my God, we're going to be gonna out die here. We're going to die here tonight. Yeah, we're going to freeze. Uh, yeah. I had a little of those thoughts. He may have had those thoughts, but I didn't see it in him. So that was cool that he was like, hey, we're going to get back, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's cool to be around people like that. And, and it, it's what's cool is in the end, these kind of stories become memories that, uh, you know, you'll never forget. So that's and learning, learning experiences for sure. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So why did you decide you wanted to become a district manager with the company, Chris? So when I graduated, Dan, it's a decent, you know, state school here in, in New York. And, and I did the interviews uh, at my senior year as uh, I think it was actually one of the things they suggested to do. And I did an internship in a financial firm 
as well. And I, so I did, I mean, we have Kodak here, we have Xerox here in Rochester, we have Paychecks. These are some big companies that we have, you know, a lot of startups that were Rochester's known for. You know, I did a lot of soul searching and, and basically it came down to not just the income opportunity and the flexibility, but when I made my list, everything that I wanted, you know, was, was here. And, and it was, it was mainly my, I remember my other manager at the time, Dina, she said, she's like, Hey, you know, we'll still be friends, but you're, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to see how anymore. You're not going to listen to a bunch of people in the business. Like, you're not going to see as much us as much anymore. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's, I don't know if I want that, you know, cause of, cause of the family atmosphere, I kind of wanted to stay mm. in that atmosphere. Plus I didn't want you know, this, the soul draining job that I perceived many of my friends and family went into. And I saw, you know, my dad, the stress every dinner of a corporate job. And so that, that obviously helped me do something that was a little bit more uh, non-traditional. Yeah, that's cool. So this is uh, January of 97 now. You became a district manager and you advanced fairly quickly to become a division manager. Five years is pretty fast advancement for that. Tell us about some of the values that you've used uh, to build your business. Sure. I, I remember my first training class, by the way. It's worth noting. I had 10 people in day one. I launched one. She went 0 for 10 and sold nothing. It was a 10, 10, you know, 10 demo base pay. It was my first training as district manager. So I think what some of the values that uh, I, I really <laughs> needed was to don't sweat the small stuff. I think I'm big about making work fun, having fun with people in your organization, keeping perspective that no matter how bad things are, there's, I mean, just to be grateful about what you do have and, uh, you know, not taking myself too seriously and just understanding and say, Hey, I'm lucky that all the things I do have, that's a big value. I try to teach even today to people saying, Hey, don't underestimate how, how lucky and how blessed we are. So that's, I think what kept me going a lot throughout the years. Yeah. That's an important value that, that idea of perspective and not sweating the, all the little things that come up as in any business where you're working with a large number of people, that creates a lot of variables, right? You're going to have some people who apply themselves. You're going to have some people who totally disappoint you. You're going to have everything in between. And it creates an up and down, sort of a natural up and down when it comes to results. Like the actual measurable part of the business is naturally going to have its ups and its downs. And if somebody is dwells on the negative experiences, then that's your experience of the job. That's how you feel on a daily basis. If instead you have that perspective that, hey, these things will occur and I'm not going to dwell on them, but let me focus on these other good things over here. And you're focusing on all the blessings. You're focusing on gratitude, as you said. You're really pouring yourself into the great people that are coming into your team then that's your experience of the job. And you're always having fun. You're always, you know, excited and looking for the, to, to the future with anticipation. And, and it's a whole different experience of the work when you view it that way. Yeah. I think a lot of people, maybe it's been an, an age old thing, but a lot of people chase after happiness. And, and mm -hmm. you, you think about, you know, happiness, one of the root words is, is, is happenstance, which is, is another word for circumstance, right? Uh, you know, you have an ice cream cone, you're happy, and then it falls on the ground and, and now all of a sudden you're sad. It's just totally based on circumstance where I try to go for true joy, which is more of an internal, more consistent, more deep-rooted, cultivated uh, internally. So I think it's important to have things outside the business too. For me, it's my faith, uh, you know, playing bass in, in church, uh, bass guitar. My wife leads the, the band, by the way. 
you know, all those, those things outside, you know, doing things outside. I read an awesome book. It was called The Happiness Advantage. And that's a good, uh, just a shout out to that book if anyone wants to learn more about it. But they've done so many studies on it that the, the old formula of success first, then happiness is broken. It's the other way around. It's, hey, you're happy, you're optimistic. And that's what is going to help feed the success. He mentions uh, John, I believe his name is Sean Acor. Yeah, his name is Sean Acor. But there's a quote in there by John Milton. And I saw this on a PowerPoint slide once, I think by Aldi Leonardo. He said, the mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell or a hell of heaven. Hmm. So the power of, of your thinking, I think, has something that we all struggle with sometimes. But uh, he talks about you know just going outside for 20 minutes helps if the weather is nice. But uh, just going out for, has, has been proven to increase your psychological state, increase your memory even. So that's something that I always try to, and I'm really competitive too. So I also have to remind myself that 99% will not finish in the top 1%. So I have to remind myself of that sometimes to keep a level head and just keep working hard. And, and uh, I know that eventually my skill will catch up to my work. Yeah. And, and the competitive arena in Vector is so brutal. Mm. It is so hard. Like We truly create some incredible achievers in our company. And if you're focused on being number one at anything in Vector, it's important to realize that precisely one person can achieve that goal right. in every competitive category that exists, right? Yeah. And it's very hard to be able to do that. I think about this particular summer in the branch manager race, there's a branch manager in the Western region that's going to win the Silver Cup that's going to be over, he's already over 500,000. There are a couple other branch managers in the company that went out early this summer and were crushing, right? One in particular in the Northeast region that broke the May record. Yeah. Lydia Frensos is her name. And doing a truly outstanding, amazing job. And this guy, Kyle, just came and just blitzed it the rest of the summer and is going to win. But the achievement of the, the people that are going to finish in second and third and fourth and fifth and that went out and really did a great job this summer it's easy for that to like be forgotten if you're so focused on being number one. And like you said, you know, 99% of the people are not going to be in the top 1%. And focusing on your own standards, focusing on excellence, bringing your best, right? These are important parts of being a good competitor and using that competition to drive you and motivate you. Paige Weber came in second last year in the branch race, and she's that's probably fueled her a little bit this year. And now she's yeah. crushing everyone. That's right. But, you know, I just think about the competitive arena in Vector is so hard that if you overly dwell on the number one spot on the finishing rankings, that's probably not the best way to look at it versus setting your own goals, your own standards, bringing your own best to the table probably is a, is a lot more important yeah. way to look at things. Glad so. I learned that early on. It's, I think that's important for people to learn that early on. Yeah, for sure. I like what you also said about when you're talking about happiness versus joy, that the idea that it's cultivated internally, right? That it, it's something that we cultivate internally. It's, it's not about what's happening externally that creates how we feel inside. What happens externally is like the weather, right? It's happening. And now we have a chance to decide how are we going to feel about it, right? Yeah. And that's a great concept as well. And you just seem like the kind of guy that chooses to have a better frame of mind on a regular basis than most people do. And that's a pretty positive value. Yeah, I went to, this has been, as you know, an extremely unique summer. This is recorded here in August of 2020. So 
a crazy summer. And I was happy to see that there are other people out there that are really doing things that are keeping their positive mental state. I went to every Kawasaki, Yamaha, Suzuki, Honda, Polaris dealership, and they're all sold out. And one, that's awesome for them and their business. But also, and talking to them, saying, yeah, people are doing more outdoor you know, activities now. And this, this has been like, you know, for some people, uh, could be a the blessing in disguise that that people are doing are are doing more outdoor things and becoming more positive because of that. So I thought that was cool when I wanted to get another one. I could not because they're all sold out. <laughs> so you were looking to get a, a jet ski wave runner, another four wheeler. Yeah, we have oh, uh, four wheeler. Yeah, yeah, another one. Yeah, we have th- we have three already: three dirt bikes, three four wheelers, snowmobile. So uh, you have to have a snowmobile in upstate New York. And I don't have a jet ski, but I, I rent them a lot. So <laughs> I was going to say, living in Rochester, that definitely would make sense to have that be a rental, not yeah, a purchase. Right. So exactly. Cool. Yeah. It, I, or anytime I go on one of the cool vector trips, I'd be sure to rent one if we're in a warm place. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Outdoor activities has been one of the blessings I've found of this whole situation. So I know I'm riding my bike a ton out here on an almost daily basis. So it's pretty cool. So how about advancing to division manager? I mean, you got there pretty quickly and you've built a really good a really good team. What what have been uh, some of your factors in becoming a division manager with the company? Yeah, again going back to those early traits that were instilled in me was I always had to work hard. See, I'm not a person that can get concepts the first try. That's how I've always been. I've always, my grades always improved as the years went on. I always always started slow. Now, in sports, I was able to usually pick those things up fairly quickly. When it came to concepts and and whether it's test taking or or, or any type of knowledge, I I had to always work hard first and then let my skills catch up. Uh, Never quitting. That obviously, I've been told a lot, you know, hey, if you don't quit, you keep getting promoted. Uh, So that was something that I loved early on to say, well, I I can at least do that. I can at least not quit and just keep chugging along. You know, that the thing I think that I had to get better at was, especially now, is that you've heard, you know, the whole 10,000 hours to become a master or something. Well, yeah, we don't have 10,000 hours anymore. So we have to sometimes pivot quickly. And, and so I've, I've had a lot of people, a lot of my peers have helped me do that. A lot of the DVMs who pivot so quickly inspires me. So that's been a big factor. I think the, what I said earlier too, is that, hey, I wanted to create opportunities for having an enjoyable experience, have a fun experience. Just like that was for me when I was young in the business. I want to have all my district managers. We just came back from a uh, two nights ago from an awesome you know limo party bus and a nice Italian restaurant. And I was getting more joy from seeing them, living through them vicariously, and memories of bringing back when I was 19, 20, 21, 22. And I think that's my duty to pass that on to the next group of people. Because that's what I had. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, Chris, uh, I'll turn this back to you in a second to share what you wanted to share. You mentioned the working with your peers and how that helped you advance more quickly. One of the things I think is really awesome about our company and probably exists in many places is that you can crowdsource knowledge and mindset, skill set. You can crowdsource all that stuff really quickly because there's so many great minds who are working on things. I think about how fast our company pivoted in March and April when the pandemic began in earnest and we had to completely virtualize all of our systems. And we basically went from half as much in sales compared to the same week last year in the third week of March to twice as much in sales 
in the third week of April. It was a five-week period. We went from half as much to twice as much in business compared to 2019. And a big part of that is because we have such brilliant minds who work on things and share ideas. And for anyone who's listening, I think it's really important to be constantly putting yourself out into your support network through conversations, through asking questions, through seeking knowledge from others. And that's one of the fastest ways to speed up our learning curve for sure. Yeah. I mean, what, is, uh, what did Greg say in his book, Enemies of Excellence? The number one enemy, top enemy of excellence is isolation. If you're not getting that information, you can quickly uh, be, be left behind. Yeah. You were going to add one other thing just a second ago. Do you remember? Oh, what yeah. Was? Another main success factor, I, I think, is that is having things to, to work for. Even when I was young and single, I, I envisioned a future family. I envisioned having kids. And I always try to tell people, say, hey, don't just think about the here and now. You got to think of yourself in 10, 20, 30 years, where you're going to be and who's going to be relying on you, whether it be a spouse or, or in my case, you know, four kids. So even though I didn't have kids when I became a DVM or my pursuit of becoming a DVM, I knew that I eventually wanted them some way, somehow. And so that was just a driving force for me, which was, was that. And then, of course, my faith in God has been huge for me. And I don't think I miss a Sunday unless I'm traveling or sick. But that's been an instrumental in my getting through the difficult seasons. So, Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome to hear. And you've been here now 27 years, Chris. I know from my perspective, having been here a little bit longer than you, people ask, like, why? Why have you been doing the same thing for so long? What comes to your mind when you're asked to, why have you been in the company for so long? Yeah, again, I think it goes back to that longer term thinking of like what I said earlier, say, hey, I may not be number one, I may not be number two, may not be in the top 10%, but uh, I'm building something greater. I always think that, hey, I always feel, I always believe that God gave us each gifts and talents and, and we're supposed to bless others, not not just ourselves, but others with those talents. And And so I feel like it's a duty for me to give back and to again, give all those experiences that were granted to me when I was in my first 10 years of the job, my first 20 years of the job, the first five years of the job. So that's been big. The relationships, again, has been, that's one of the keys to success for me is that knowing that I can at any time call anyone in my peer group. I could call any, I can call an RM. I can call, I can call the president and ask for advice and I know that that is not normal. I know that that is just very uncommon in other places. So knowing that I have that support structure has been uh, instrumental in me wanting to stay here this long. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. What are you excited about for the future personally, Chris? Personally? So, okay, outside of business, I'm excited to travel with my family now more and more as and kind of show them the places that I've been to. I want to show my kids Hawaii. You know, they've never been to Hawaii, but we've been, what, two or three times, I think now with Vector. I'm excited to get signature experiences with them. I want to go to, to Disney World and get the, you know, stay at a, at a villa in the Polynesian. You know, I want to do the coolest things that I didn't get to do when I was younger, just simply because of the very modest upbringing that I had and the, the, just the middle-class environment that I was in, which was, which was great. I want to have my kids learn all the things that I learned here in this company. And I want to teach that also, to the people now, I, I was just I was talking to several young young people about, hey, you know, you're either going to work hard now or you're going to work hard later. Which would you rather do? And just kind of, I want to instill some skills and mentalities that are just not offered in college. Great school. I went to a great college. 
got a degree, but I honestly learned more in four months here than four years at getting that degree. So that's something that I want to just pour into my friends, my family, and any person I meet in this company. Yeah. You have four kids. What ages are your kids, Chris? Four, eight, nine, and 11. Four? Uh, so you, you had three real fast. And yeah. Then, uh... Three back-to-back, three like within two years of each other each. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was a little crazy. All while being a division manager. So it was, uh, I had to get good fast at that work-life balance thing. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I, I hope you get to experience all those cool things with your family. I'm sure you will. And just that, you know, looking down the road, five years, 10 years, how does Chris Hammond aspire to uh, leave a legacy to impact his people and uh, to impact society and change people's lives through what you do? Sure. We all know the starfish example. And, and sometimes I get wrapped up. It was like, oh, maybe I'm not making a difference but I try to focus on one, one at a time, one person at a time. Hey, if I can help someone get their dream job, you know, maybe selling Cutco is not their dream job like it is for many of us, but I, want, but I know it can help them get their dream job. I love hearing people accomplish great things after they left Factor. That's one of the things I want to teach also passion for life and passion for their trade, their choice of career, whatever that may be. I think the world would be a much better place if 90% of people enjoyed their job instead of the reverse, what it is now, something like that, where it's you know, most people, I guess, uh, don't really like their jobs. Their, their soul is getting drained in their job. I, I think it would be great to have, uh, think of how much more productive our country will be if people were passionate. I have a, my own toll booth story. I know John Vroman has a toll booth story, but I have this guy that, you know, every time I give him the change, he takes the card, he flips it up, and he catches the change behind his back. And it's so cool. I hope I get that guy every time now because he's just like, that's someone who like is, is enjoying their, their work and is passionate about their leader without a title. So that's one of the things, the biggest things that I want to have people, and even if they're here for a short time, I want to impress upon them, hey, wherever you go, make sure that you're passionate about what you're doing. Yeah. Well, that, that is a very, very powerful lesson Chris, and it's something that I feel like is most created through demonstration. And you strike me as somebody who has just always been a person that has demonstrated that for the people around you, right? You've demonstrated that passion for life. You've demonstrated the enjoying the process, right? Having fun on a day-to-day basis and bringing your best energy, right? And that's all stuff that I think is really admirable about you that I'm sure the people that work with you get a great chance to observe and that trickles over to them. And, and then they're going to have that effect on, uh, on the other people around them as well. So it certainly is a powerful legacy that you're building there with your team, Chris. Thanks. That's the goal. Thanks, Dan. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Chris. I appreciate uh, your time and your insights today. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Hope I made an impact for some people. All right. Awesome. Chris Hammond, everyone. That is one of the really great leaders in the Cutco Vector Marketing Organization. It's just uh, cool to be able to share his experiences, his story with you all here today. I love the early lessons that he got from some of his initial leaders about enjoying life and doing the things that enable you to enjoy yourself at the highest levels 
experiences, et cetera, but also keeping in mind that saving, investing for your future is important. The lesson of working hard and playing hard, right? Balancing those two things really well. From Al Di Leonardo, lessons about family and the importance of family. And of course, some of the great leadership that Chris received as region managers, Earl Kelly and Jeff Bry. And now Chris is passing on valuable lessons to his people, the lessons of perspective, right? And, you know, not taking yourself too seriously and not sweating the small things that come up. And then the idea of, uh, you know, happiness is created internally. Thought that was so valuable and that he's passing that along to people in his leadership nowadays. One of the things I really loved was where Chris talked about looking at opportunities after he graduated from college. And he said, everything I wanted was here at Vector. I was reminded today of a Gallup poll that happened a few years ago. This is something I posted on my social media here that you can find. And Gallup conducted a study of human happiness in 155 countries. And the poll was designed to reveal the leading determinant of happiness. It wasn't wealth, right? Because beyond a certain level, the effect of wealth plateaus. It wasn't health because most people sort of took that for granted. Instead, the leading determinant of human happiness was shown to be, quote, meaningful work that is done in the company of people that we care about. And the CEO of Gallup said that this is one of the most important discoveries that Gallup has ever and when I think about what makes work truly meaningful, and this is stuff that really meshes with what Chris Hammond shared today, colleagues we respect and admire is a part of it. Enough impact on others so that we feel personal satisfaction. Enough income to satisfy our core needs, with a little bit of room to spare, and then work that provides us with intrinsic motivation to excel and, of course, enjoying what we do, having fun. These are all elements of the work at Vector and Cutco that apply directly. Hopefully they apply in whatever you do if you're not with Vector and Cutco anymore. And these are all parts of why Chris Hammond has stayed with our company for so long and has been so successful as he's immersed himself in those elements of the work, enjoyed the process, impacted other people, truly made a difference. Chris briefly referenced the starfish story, and I'll end this recording today by sharing it with you. There's a little girl walking along on a beach, and there are starfish stranded all over the beach. The tide has gone out, and these starfish were left in the sand. It's hot. The sun is baking, and a lot of the starfish are likely to die in the heat. And the little girl is walking along, picking up starfish and throwing them back into the water. She bends down, picks one up, throws it in the water. Bends down, picks another one up, throws it in the water. Continues doing that as she's walking along the beach. Well, a man comes along and he sees the little girl and he says, little girl, what are you doing? There's so many starfish out here. There's hundreds, maybe thousands. You're not going to make any difference. And the little girl looks at the man and she smiles she bends down, picks up another starfish, throws it in the water, 
stands back up and looks at the man and says, I made a difference for that one. And when you think about the impact you can have in the world, it is created one person at a time. Investing your life into one and then another and then another and then another. This is the process through which Chris Hammond has created such great success, $86 million in Cutco business, but more so countless lives that have been impacted in a positive way. And I hope each of you can see that as a challenge to consider what you can do to impact the people in your world today and every day. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.